This episode of News Dump is brought to you by Upstart and Credit Karma. So obviously yesterday's episode and the news in general the past week or more has been a, a bit of a bummer, at least more than usual. Oops, all bad news. <laughs> I love the thumbnail. So we decided that maybe we should start this week's news dump off with some more positive stories for you as a nice treat amongst the dread and hopelessness that's been filling all of our timelines. What if there was a YouTube show that was only about good news? That really This is a very this is a lucrative idea that I just had. Last time we mentioned that he actually uploaded a new video. So maybe maybe this is just the uh, the spark that was needed. Stay out of my territory, John Krasinski. Now we have of course been inundated by the recent news regarding the continued spread of COVID variants uh, even among the vaccinated. And we should reiterate that being vaccinated gives you an astronomically better chance at reduction in severe symptoms and death. So go get vaccinated. But uh, on the more positive side of things, we're uh, we're seeing far less people dying from cancer in recent years. And the, the numbers are getting a lot better overall for the most common forms of cancer. And that's good, I think. Right. Is there a trick here? I think so. Yeah. So an annual report from the National Cancer Institute and the American Cancer Society shows that, quote, overall cancer death rates continue to decline in men and women for all racial and ethnic groups in the United States. During 2001 to 2018, declines in lung cancer death rates accelerated and death rates for melanoma declined considerably in more recent years, reflecting a substantial increase in survival for metastatic melanoma. It continues, the report shows a decrease in death rates for 11 of the 19 most common cancers among men and for 14 of the 20 most common cancers among women over the most recent period, 2014 to 2018. Yeah, cool, right? That's good news. Yeah, the most common cancers are uh, appearing less and less and becoming less deadly. I mean, that's, that's great news. Uh, so the report adds that some cancers, including breast cancer and colorectal cancer, ass cancer, mm -hmm. have stopped declining but aren't increasing. And there has been an increase in a few other types, but, quote, overall cancer death rates decreased in every racial and ethnic group during 2014 to 2018. Which is great news. Oh, yeah. That's great. But life expectancy in the U.S. fell by a full year and a half in 2020, which is the largest single-year decline of life expectancy since World War II, according to the CDC. Jesus Christ, what, what the hell was that? Uh... Anyways, Mark Hoppus from Blink-182 is reporting good news from his oh, cancer yeah. treatments. Uh, he said in a post to social media earlier this week, scans indicate that the chemo is working. I still have months of treatment ahead, but it's the best possible news. I'm so grateful and confused and also sick from last week's chemo, but the poison the doctors pump into me and the kind thoughts and wishes of people around me are destroying this cancer. So that's, that's great. Yeah. That's great. And more good news. On Wednesday of this week, the Federal Trade Commission voted unanimously to enforce laws around the right to repair uh, movement, which would allow consumers to repair their devices or basically any products that you can think of these days without being forced to use the manufacturer of that product. So that could range from anything, your phone, tablet, or TV, your John Deere lawnmower. Yeah. Um, yeah, all the way up to products that are really expensive to buy, really expensive to modify or repair, like heavy machinery and cars. Yeah, the most notable uh, in the past couple of years was the big John Deere stuff, because tractors that cost tens of thousands, nay, hundreds of thousands of yeah, dollars. Yeah, they put a little computer in a fucking tractor, and it's like, well, now you can't repair it. I guess you gotta got to send out one of our specialists. Yeah. Uh, but another notable example, a Tesla owner who was given a quote from the dealership of $16,000 to repair a busted battery on his Model 3. Uh, but they ended up just getting it repaired for just $700 at a local garage that specializes in electric cars. Yeah, that was like just this month. And it was shocking to be like, 
okay, I could take this to Tesla and have to pay literally a third of the entire cost of the car, there should be a better way, right? Yeah. Um, from coverage on this decision from Wired, proponents of the right to repair have long argued that consumers should have access to the tools, parts, documentation, and software required to fix the products they own, whether it's a smartphone or a tractor. These groups are also quick to call out instances in which large manufacturers block or limit options for independent product repairs or force consumers to go directly back to the manufacturer, who then charges a premium for a fix. And it's not just a matter of fixing a broken glass back on a smartphone or repairing an impossibly small smartwatch. During the height of the coronavirus pandemic in the spring of 2020, medical device engineers began speaking out on the dangers of not having access to repair tools for critical devices, such as ventilators, during times of crisis. Mm. So I guess you could see how that would be bad. Yeah, it's a good thing. That didn't affect anything to do with anything that might have happened in the last... Like, Remember when years. Elon Musk bought all those non-ventilators? He bought a bunch of CPAP machines from China and just slapped a Tesla sticker on them and then flew away. My work here is done. Yep. Uh, in more good news, thanks to an outpouring of support from the community, uh, the Studio Jubilee Museum in Tokyo, Japan, has a far better chance of surviving the pandemic and continuing to operate in the future. Uh, the museum, which has been repeatedly shut down during the coronavirus pandemic, was running out of money and in desperate need of repairs. Got no weebs traveling over from the U.S. And they were really counting on the Olympics, too. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, but luckily, thanks to a crowdfunding campaign, the museum was able to not only meet its funding goal, but exceeded it by leaps and bounds. The deep in America is back and worse than before. A significant and far-reaching heat wave is poised to build across much of the continent of the United States during the next few weeks, and it could be the most expansive in this country so far during this unusually hot summer, and it's going to aggravate drought and wildfires, and we're toast. Oh, okay. God damn uh, it. Yeah, going to go ahead and stop using the monkey's paw for good news. Uh, let's just get back into our more regular programming. Uh, look, this, this story is either good or bad, depending on whether you're a normal everyday person or Jeff Bezos. So maybe that's a, a good balance. Yeah. In case you're somehow living under a rock, you're probably well aware of the fact that Jeff Bezos went to space this week on his gigantic penis-shaped rocket, where he floated around for minutes and then came back down to Earth with a fresh take on the fragility of our beautiful planet. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. He came back and he talked about wanting to build factories in space. Um, doesn't seem to have humbled him <laughs> at all. But does Bezos' trip to space make him an astronaut? He did go to space on a rocket, so we're assuming that Bezos definitely thought that he had bought his way into the very exclusive and illustrious group of people who can confidently call themselves astronauts. Right? Wrong. Wrong! Sorry, Jeff, you loser. Because literally the same day that he launched himself into space, the FAA issued new guidelines, which essentially changed the definition of what makes someone an actual astronaut. Could the timing have been... Any better? Guess not. Well, from Gizmodo's coverage of the new guidelines, the updates concern the FAA's Commercial Space Astronaut Wings Program and the criteria used to award those commanding, piloting, or working on privately funded spacecraft with the coveted Astronaut Wings badge. And Bezos, as it turns out, just doesn't make the cut. First, aside from flying in a craft that meets the FAA's basic standards, the guidelines state that candidates need to fly more than 50 miles above the Earth's surface in order to qualify. Bezos actually met that bar during his flight. In fact, he went a full 62 miles above sea level. The main issue is that he didn't really do much during that flight. 
In the past, we've seen these wings awarded to pilots, like those leading the 2004 Spaceship One flight and the Spaceship Two in 2018. A year after that, the first woman and non-pilot would be awarded her wings when the FAA gave a pair to Beth Moses, Virgin Galactic's chief astronaut instructor. All of these figures actually did something on board, or as the FAA's new guidance put it, they, quote, demonstrated activities during flight that were essential to public safety or contributed to human spaceflight safety. This is a new requirement for folks looking to get this badge of honor, and one that Bezos and his crew fall short of. Because Blue Origin's new Shepard spacecraft was fully autonomous, there was nobody responsible for actively piloting the thing, nor anyone really performing any duties that were key to the crew's public safety. Not only that, but the others that joined Bezos on New Shepard don't even qualify as being members of the spacecraft's crew, since the FAA defines that as employees or contractors associated with a company involved in the spacecraft's launch. So, sorry Jeff, Mr. Bezos, you in fact didn't do it. I like this, except for the fact that, uh, you know, we have uh, dogs and monkeys that uh, I, previously considered to be astronauts, despite them really not doing much, except uh, going up there and proving that mammals aren't immediately just going to die. I would say that they uh, contributed to the, the safety of the program overall as being test pilots. For you're them. right. That's true. And didn't they give the monkey a, uh, a banana to get a button? Like they, or a button to get a banana? Like, hey, you press this button, the thing rotates, you get a banana? I, I don't know. That's what I like to think in my mind. I mean, most of these animals died in space. They had no plans of bringing them back. They had no choice. So, yeah, they did actually, they sacrificed for so the greater go. good. Jeff didn't do any of that shit. Yeah, he's an astronaut, he not an astronaut. <laughs> just threw Skittles around. Yeah. The, honestly, though, they should have given Wally Funk something to do that would have given her the honorary title of astronaut. Yeah. Because in my mind... I'm going to go ahead and give it to her. Again. She Wa proved that being that old, you could still go to space. She is, uh, Wally Funk, again, like Jeff Be Bezos, is a it's a brilliant plan. You can't criticize this mission because if you do so, you criticize Wally Funk. So now yeah. it's like, oh, so you're saying Wally Funk isn't an astronaut? This woman who trained for decades to go into space, who was the head of the FAA, her own agency is now telling you that she's not an astronaut? You hate to see it. Can you say sexism? Yeah. Uh, and they, if she uh, is an astronaut, well then... I guess Jeff Bezos is too. Then that would make me one as well, I guess. I, didn't, I hadn't thought about that. I was just thinking about the, uh, the great disrespect that's just been done to Wally Funk here. Yeah. But now that you mention it, yeah, I guess I am a bit of an astronaut, just like Wally. Uh, to that point, uh, apparently, and they did award it to themselves, apparently, uh, the Blue Origin came up with their own not-astronaut wings that they award to anyone who rides... Uh, on Blue Origin. Come on, guys. That's like some Scientology shit. It's like the wings that Delta gives kids. Oh, yeah, you're a pilot now. <laughs> yeah. You saw the instrument panel. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Maybe it'll inspire you to be great. Maybe not. Anyways, we do have more news for you, including a bunch of traditional entertainment news coming up. But first, let's take a quick second to thank today's sponsors, starting with Upstart. When it comes to paying off debt, it can often feel like an uphill battle. High interest rates resulting in minimum monthly payments keep you in an endless cycle of debt. Upstart can help you get ahead. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple, fixed monthly payment. Unlike other lenders, Upstart looks at more than just your credit score, like your income and employment history. This means they can offer smarter rates with trusted partners. 
With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate upfront for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. You can receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash newsdump. That is upstart.com slash newsdump. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash newsdump. This episode is also sponsored by Credit Karma. Uh, the beginning of any journey can feel daunting. You're not sure you're heading in the right direction, and maybe you don't know exactly what to prepare for. With Credit Karma, you can be more informed about what's ahead. Credit Karma's game-changing technology shows you tailored offers for credit cards and personal loans that you're more likely to be approved for, so you can apply with more confidence. They use your credit and other financial information to show you custom recommendations. Uh, many, many years ago, when I was climbing out of terrible credit card debt, uh, credit card recommended uh, the Venture Card, and that's what I've had ever since, and it's, uh, it's wonderful. I get my rewards, and I'm happy. Now, whether you go with cash back, travel rewards, or just to consolidate debt, Credit Karma can help you find the offers that fit your goals. With a selection of options and approval odds, you have the power to make informed decisions. Credit Karma, apply with confidence. Go to creditkarma.com slash podcast to learn more and find offers tailored just for you. That is creditkarma.com slash podcast, or you can see your offers on the Credit Karma app. Apply with confidence today. Go to creditkarma.com slash podcast or the Credit Karma app. All right, back into the news now with an announcement of... Uh, you know, for one of the most anticipated video game franchises of this year. Oh, yeah. Some good games. Let's get them in. Good games. It's been a while. Battlefield. Their latest edition of the series, Battlefield 2042, which is currently scheduled for release in late October of this year, debuted with a, a pretty kick-ass trailer that very clearly alluded to the fact that DICE had finally embraced the more ridiculous and fun side of their franchise, a.k.a. Battlefield moments where players pull off stunts and trick shots and set up scenarios that are completely unrealistic while playing a game that is supposed to be, at least in the past, somewhat realistic. Well, now they've gone a step further with the announcement of Battlefield Portal. They've essentially said, fuck it, do whatever the hell you want. Have as much fun as possible. No rules. And the general consensus online seems to be everybody liked that. So at its core, this mode allows players to play a bunch of custom modes from throughout the history of the Battlefield franchise, utilizing weapons, vehicles, militaries from every game and era. Uh, the recently released trailer shows off just how crazy things can get, and notes from a recent developer briefing regarding the mode goes into further detail, saying, quote, The creation suite includes settings, custom modes, and a logic editor, so you can build your own signature spin on Battlefield Sandbox. You'll be able to change team ratios, tweak victory conditions, restrict weapons, and even put different factions from different eras in Battlefield's history against one another. Those who want to focus on discovering what others have created will have easy access to an entire world of unexpected battles featuring some of the series' most famous eras matched together in distinct, exciting experiences. On top of the content available in Battlefield 2042, Battlefield Portal also lets you play with maps, weapons, vehicles, and more from some of Battlefield's greatest experiences, all reimagined at modern visuals. They can run at 4K and 60 FPS and even support the full 128-player count on new-gen consoles and PC. Now, coverage from Game Rant states the obvious, but drives home just how nutty this can get by, quote, calling out the ability to force a team of World War II soldiers from Battlefield 1942 to battle against the modern specialists of Battlefield 2042. There are some key limitations here, however, with players unable to mix multiple armies into the same team. Gadgets from the different eras won't be individually balanced either, so players will need to find their own ways to balance game modes that mash up timelines. So basically, as you can see in the trailer, uh, there will be like a fucking World War II plane flying by, yeah. and they'll launch some modern or advanced tech at it and blow it out of the sky. Uh, so 
things are going to get extremely interesting in this, and it's going to be great for Twitch and YouTube videos and a lot of fun to just mess around with your friends. I still want to know. I don't think they've announced it yet. Is this shit going to be on Game Pass or not? Yeah, I don't know. Because, yeah, EA uh, Play is like a part of yeah. Xbox Game Pass. Um, be really cool if it was. I don't have a next-gen console, so I'll probably get it on PC so I can yeah. run it smoothly. Because uh, I want to see it. Battlefield is one of those one of those games that always just tests the limits of whatever yeah. you're working with. It looks so, good. Yeah. Uh, also on the EA side of things, the company released yet another teaser for Skate 4, which shows off some of the behind-the-scenes work uh, on the game, including motion tracking. Essentially, this new video is just a reminder that they are working on the game, and it's coming out eventually. But this new installment, it couldn't have come at a better time because thanks to both TikTok and the fact that skateboarding is now an Olympic sport, it the skateboarding scene had really big resurgence in popularity. Uh, it kind of dipped for a while, honestly. Yeah. And look, if you came up in skateboarding throughout the years of 2009 and now, it was probably really big for you too. But I'm saying in a general awareness sense, like mm -hmm. really peaked in their late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. And Along now it's getting huge again. Yeah. yeah. I saw the best shirt on the internet that I might even buy for myself, even though I'm not a skater. But it's like, uh, it says, skateboarding, skateboarding is not an Olympic sport. It's a crime. Yeah. And it's the Olympic rings, but with like handcuffs on the bottom. I literally bought the <laughs> shirt, but I, so there is the original artist. It's a skate shop that you can buy it from. Yeah. I, I bought the shirt, but then I canceled the order because it's, uh, I thought it was on the front. Oh, it's on, it's the, on back? the back of a shirt. Ah. It just has the logo of the skate shop on the front. Yeah. Which is still, it's really, it's a really cool shirt. Yeah. And there's like a bazillion knockoffs now, but uh, I was like, oh, I really wish it was in the front. The design's so funny. Yeah, and it's a, it's a wonderful design. <laughs> it's um, a crime. <laughs> skateboarding is a crime, not an Olympic sport. Yeah. <laughs> uh, over on the movie side of the news stuff, yeah. when you consider the ridiculous nonsensical shit that has actually made it into some big budget franchises over the years, you might not realize that even crazier ideas are left either on the cutting room floor or never made it out of storyboarding. Mm -hmm. Luckily, there are no shortage of film podcasts out there who chatted up with people that can reveal things about movies that no one's ever known. And that happened recently when a storyboard artist named Dave Lowry appeared on the Stuck on Sorna podcast for the 20th anniversary of Jurassic Park 3. Uh, an anniversary that would typically be overlooked by most because it's Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> yeah. Anyways... Would you believe that this film almost included a scene that could have lived forever in memes and animated GIFs, but one that almost certainly would have been wildly mocked during its initial release? The scene would have, could have been, a velociraptor riding a dirt bike. Yeah. Uh, here's a clip from the interview along with the storyboard from podcast creator Daniel Steffen. Pulls the hang glider poof, out of the backpack as a, a raptor jumps. I think I drew it so that... A, Raptor jumps after him, and actually the raptor lands on the saddle of the bike and takes it down to the to the bottom or, or what have you. But for some reason, it didn't make it in. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, honestly, out of respect for this scene that never was, they should add it as an Easter egg in the next film, yeah. or at least in the inevitable Jurassic Park Fast and Furious crossover. Which is almost certainly going to happen. I see very, uh, what seemed to me, inorganic memes and a perpetuation online of this this crazy idea that someday the Jurassic Park franchise... Some real brand synergy. And, and the Fast and Furious franchise, two very serious franchises that would never yeah. do something goofy like that. Yeah. yeah, there's... I mean, it's universal. They're going to cross-pollinate as much as they can. And this is uh, something that could happen at yeah. some point. Fast and Furious and Dinosaurs. 
And then after a couple of those movies, throw in, I don't know, Dracula. You got the whole like universal <laughs> monsters. Fast and Furious and Dinosaurs and Dracula. I would love to see the Fast and Furious guys take down like Frankenstein's mummy. Yeah. Or Frankenstein's like, monster. Or the mummy. It's really like, it, that's where it's got to go. Like the Fast and the Furious and the Universal Monsters. I do love the idea <laughs> that throughout the history of both franchises, the other franchise has existed in the reality of the other franchise. Yeah. Like the Fast and Furious franchise, they're like, you know, they're... And they've been aware of it. It's just never come up in conversation. They've never had to, had to do anything with it. It's just Dracula. Just, <laughs> we got bigger things to worry <laughs> yeah. about than an island full of, full of dinosaurs, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Dracula, a blood-sucking <laughs> mutant. Nah. the Impaler. <laughs> but he's all the way over there in Romania. <laughs> yeah, no, I love the idea that they have co like coexisted. Yeah. Uh, it, but, the, but the fact is that they've just it's just never come up. Yeah, they, I mean, these movies are action-packed. And <laughs> what better way to introduce audiences to the fact that they do exist in the same universe than, I don't know, Vin Diesel driving a car down the side of a mountain and a fucking velociraptor rides a dirt bike next to him. Yeah, this idea has legs. And then they wheels. both look at each other and they nod and they go separate directions. <laughs> Back to their respective franchises. Anyways, over on HBO Max uh, now, though, uh, it looks like Warner isn't going to be giving up its straight-to-streaming strategy, strategy at least entirely next year when, of course, all of its biggest films were supposed to go back to the uh, just-being-in-movie-theaters kind of thing, being an exclusive thing. It was just for this year, guys. But it uh, looks like, surprise, the hybrid model seems to be working. From The Verge, quote, During AT&T's second quarter earnings call this week, the company's executives were asked about how the pandemic release model would shape a more permanent release strategy going forward, particularly as it relates to theaters. Citing the theatrical success of Godzilla vs. Kong to the tune of $463 million in revenue, WarnerMedia chief Jason Kylar responded that while, quote, the motion picture format absolutely matters, the company also feels very good about the response that consumers have given it in the home. Uh, Kylar went on to say that Warner Brothers will be producing 10 films that will debut on HBO Max the same day they're released. While it's not clear which titles these 10 will include, the decision indicates that the pandemic has significantly influenced the way that Warner Media will tackle its movie releases moving forward. Uh, Kylar expressly stated that the company does not plan to return to a film release strategy of the past. Uh, quote, I certainly don't anticipate us going back to the way the world was in 2015 or 16 or 17, where windows were quite lengthy between theatrical and home exhibition, whether it was an a la carte transaction or something else. And uh, if you're looking for something new to watch on the platform, something that isn't that abysmal Space Jam 2, well, there's a new documentary on HBO Max about one of the most fucked up a real, like, watershed moment. Uh, they, you know, a music festival that much like how Woodstock 69 was the end of the 60s. Well, you might not know this if you're a little younger than us. There was another Woodstock in 1999. There was and a, that marked the end of the 90s. There were a couple others, uh, but none was as uh, infamous as Woodstock 99. Yeah. Um, it was something. Truly defined a generation, a generation that started with, you know, some leftover uh, hair metal glam, but went pretty much right into uh, everything that was coming out of Seattle and the grunge scene and uh, quickly jumped to pop and excess and new metal and just chaos. And uh, yeah. Woodstock 99 was, yeah, kind of that, kind of the end of, of an era uh, in the worst way possible. Yeah. Uh, uh, when the CIA saw Woodstock 99, they're like, all right, 
Press the 9-11 button. We need a war, guys. Yeah. These, these youths, they are, uh, they're getting a little comfortable down there. They're getting stir-crazy. We need a war with Iraq. We need a war with uh, Afghanistan. We need to saber rattle a little bit with China. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, try invading Cuba again because the American youth, Generation X, is getting stir-crazy. <laughs> this is what happens when there's too much freedom. Press yeah. the unfreedom button. Yeah. Uh, Woodstock 99, Peace, Love, and Rage. Uh, pe- now, as Elliot said, people our age or older, of course, remember the insanity that played out during this festival. I remember listening to it on a, I had a headphones on a, uh, it was a, with an FM receiver on like a tape player, yeah. a CD player, whatever. Uh, but it was also replayed over and over again on MTV and, and obviously for all of the very negative reasons on nationwide news outlets. It was like front page news. I yeah. like, yeah. Jesus Christ. But uh, people from even one generation younger than us might not be fully aware of the chaos that ensued. It was bad. It was real bad. Worse than you can imagine. And this new documentary gives you an inside look at everything that went down, including interviews with people who were there and people who worked on the festival. Uh, Now, we, of course, can't show you the trailer. Um, There's a lot of people swimming in poo-poo, but also because (laughs) of uh, uh, copyright restrictions. Uh, But Rolling Stone does a good job explaining things. Thrown 30 years after the original Woodstock, Woodstock 99 was completely unlike the countercultural celebration of peace, love, and music. The trailer distills the chaos that ensued from scorching heat and $4 bottles of water to malfunctioning porta potties and a whole lot of pent up white male rage that was unleashed in the form of fights, fires, and multiple reports of sexual assault. Several talking heads featured in the trailer also theorize about how the bad energy released at Woodstock 99 still reverberates in American culture over 20 years later. Yeah. It was, it was, it was nuts. And yeah, I misspoke earlier. Woodstock '69 was not the end of the '60s. Altamont was the end of the '60s, okay. and this was this was Gen X's Altamont. Okay, Altamont's the the festival where uh, the Hell's Angels were hired as security. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, stabbed a man to death on camera. You can see it happen while the mm-hmm. Rolling Stones are playing. It's fucking wild. Yeah, anyways, uh, finally, finally today, uh, director Jordan Peele has announced his latest project with a name that is. Very simple and, I guess, sort of self-explanatory, much like his previous titles, Get Out and Us. Nope. It's a great title. Yep. Nope. Is the newest movie from Jordan Peele, and according to The Hollywood Reporter, Nope reunites Peele with Oscar winner Daniel Kaluuya, who broke out with the filmmaker's debut feature, Get Out. Nope also stars Kiki Palmer, Stephen Yen, Barbie Ferreira, Brandon Pereira, and Michael Wincott. Uh, Little else is known about Nope which was one of the two titles touted when Peel signed a rich five-year overall feature deal with Universal in October 2019. And yeah, they're right. There's, there's no other information out there about this movie, aside from whatever you can deduce from looking at the poster that was released. Um, but like with Us and Get Out, I'm sure that the title will have something to do with the plot of the movie. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. And I'm excited for Vin Diesel to show up in a car Get out. and race them. Yeah. Because it's <laughs> and then, universal. And then Dracula pops out. It's just a Dracula movie. Why didn't you say so? Yeah. Hey, look, there's a Velociraptor on a motorcycle. Yeah. Anyway. I remember when that uh, T-Rex showed up in San Diego in Jurassic Park 2 and, and Brian raced it in his, in, his, in his race car. Yeah, they just didn't show it to you because they couldn't show you everything that was going on, but it's canon. Yeah, when anyone when they talk about anything negative in the past in these movies, they're talking about how they had to fight dinosaurs in San Diego. <laughs> We've been through so much. Don't ask me about the late nineties. <laughs> uh, anyways, <laughs> had to race a T Rex in the gas lamp district of San Diego. We were racing. We weren't just racing pink slips. We were racing for our very lives. <laughs> anyways, 
that's it for again we are available for all of this movie making and idea yeah. making uh, just send us an email Universal we are on call very expensive though as we always state yeah. that's it for today's episode uh, if you want more bad news very important that you're aware of bad news please watch our most recent episode of Tech News Day uh, and if you want the full recap of Jeff Bezos going to space we did another episode about that this week and stay tuned for weekly weird news coming up next in the meantime, have a great weekend, and we'll see you soon. Hit the subscribe button, like button, do all that. Ding.